0: Hello, beautiful enlightened souls, and welcome to Ascension Immersion with Mama Ishel, where we unlock our cell memory, remember the truths of creation, and reach our highest frequencies. Journey with me into higher dimensions. Welcome to the first episode of the Ascension Immersion podcast with Mama Ishel. I am Shell, your host. I'm going to tell you my story today, the story of how I became Mommy E. essentially. It started in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> I was born into a pretty young couple, and both sides of that family line had addiction. So it was my sister and I, my older sister and I, and our childhood... It was, it was a struggle, but I know now that I chose all of this. This is one of the greatest gifts I have of awareness is to know that everything I have experienced in this human game, in this human university, was to get me here today. And this person today is still evolving. So it started with... Um, Childhood was, from what I remember, when I don't remember a lot, but the the more I heal, the more I remember, the more I unlock memories. Um, Angie, the woman who birthed me, she had a very rough childhood as well. And through that, she had a pretty distorted idea of what was acceptable in a mother figure as the mother role. And so she often placed us in danger. Um, For one one example would be she had a meth dealer. Uh, I remember him vaguely. He has, or had, has red hair, kind of like tall and skinny. He drove a really cool car. And I remembered him only whenever my older sister told me that she had remembered. I was like 30 when she told me this stuff. But Angie would um, leave she would have the guy over and get drugs from him and then he would she would leave us with him. And my sister told me that um, he would touch me and it got to a point where she decided to essentially sacrifice herself so that he wouldn't touch me anymore and he would her and then she told um angie and evidently angie blew up and super aggressive and dramatic like she was has been her entire life and that the story goes that you know she beat him up and all of this stuff but (laughs) <laughs> it didn't stop her getting drugs from him. So this was pretty much a very common occurrence in my life. And through her narcissism, she she made it really difficult for my dad to have a really healthy relationship with us to the best of his ability. His ability wasn't great. He he really did try, and he's he's a super loving man, but he has a lot of darkness that he definitely deflects. So I was a pretty big daddy's girl. Um, Angie was met with multiple men, always based around drugs. Like for instance, one man, I remember his name, Kyle. He actually seemed to be pretty cool, but his mother was a really big drug dealer in town. And, um, It got pretty messy, of course, like any relationship based around that does. And this woman, Kyle's mother, decided to burn all of our baby books, baby clothes, baby blankets, literally anything that was associated with my sister and I, this woman burned it. And so um, I, I remember him vaguely I feel like he was actually more stable than Angie was in that time. And he took care of us pretty well, but it was, it was brief. And then Angie met Robert, my stepdad, and they also did drugs together. And then, um, they stayed married for like 21 years. So he was the father figure majority of my life, but we hated each other. Oh my God. Like I could not stand this man. I was such a crazy kid. I remember being in the back seat of a car <laughs> and he was driving and my sister and I were in the back seat and I was like six. And this just tells you like how much aggression I had witnessed my whole life and um, physical abuse that I had seen Angie participate in. But I just reached to the front of the of the driver's seat where he was, and i he had a mullet. <laughs> and I, I grabbed his mullet, and I just started pulling so hard. I was just angry. I was so pissed off. I was like, you're not my dad, because I really wanted to be with my dad. And um, he pulled the car over and tried to get out. I don't know what he was going to do, but then Angie was screaming, and my sister was screaming, and I locked the door, and... You know, <laughs> what's funny is this pulling over the car, flipping out situation between him and I happened many times in our relationship. <laughs> I was I was quite a rebel towards him because it was maybe I knew that he was stepping in to like essentially replace my dad's role. Um, and they had two kids together, my two sisters. So there's four sisters. And whenever my first little sister was born, I was so mean to her. Oh, God. I was so mean to her, which created a lot of shame and guilt for me um, that I have in my most recent years processed and forgiven myself for it. And I asked her for forgiveness as well. Um, We actually became friends later on in life we partied together so you know we became friends um and then it's it was pretty it was still pretty aggressive because they chose they chose drugs always to the point where um one of like they they both had this dream home the blue house it was out kind of on the outskirts of town and it was so freaking cool and we were so excited whenever they were able to actually purchase this house it was like a really big deal because we moved around all the time I probably lived in my childhood I I would guess I lived in about 50 houses and that's because of like they would just peace out, dip out of the house because they couldn't pay for it or we would get evicted. It was all sorts of stuff. We were moving all over the place. And so whenever they got this, I was probably, I know I was 17. I remember because it happened the same year that I i was raped and then I also had a bone tumor in my legs. So it was like this whole big thing. And then my, um, I'm kind of jumping around, but it was a big year. 17 was a big year. So they get this house um, and the big blue house. Well, I guess this was when my stepdad was doing the best at his job and had extra money. I suppose um, Angie always told me that he was part of the um, Mexican mafia, and from what I remember witnessing, and like the um, there was like a place called what was it called? It was it was an undercover. Like game shop where his whole family would hang out, and it was seriously just to launder money, and it's a place where they could go and do all their drugs. And we would go there, you know, they would take us there, and they would disappear, and we would have games to play with and stuff. It was super unhealthy, um, but I remember seeing some pretty sketchy stuff go on. They didn't really hide a lot from us, or they didn't think that we were smart enough to um, be aware of what was going on. I was I was always very smart, um, so they got this blue house and and they were super stoked about it and ended up blowing up the the garage because they were cooking meth in it. And I remember <laughs> I, I had friends over. Like I I moved out of my house when I was fourteen, um, because I was living with my stepdad and my mom and and my stepdad and I were fighting and he was like slapping me till I passed out like she was super aggressive as well and I always thought you know she was supposed to protect me um but they would both they were pretty aggressive and so I was 14 and my sister my older sister wasn't living with us so I asked my aunt if I could live with them I moved out and I went to live with her and my and my uncle and that was actually really amazing because my uncle, who wasn't even my blood uncle, he stepped in and became a super incredible role model for me and father figure and um, just love. Like I felt protected and I knew that he loved me. And so we had a really close bond. Uh, The the same year the big blue house uh, blew up, he died. So like... It was that year was I learned my parents were meth addicts through a friend who came to my house when they were having like a party. He was like, you know, your parents are doing meth in the garage, right? And I was like, huh? No. He was like, yes. And I was like, but what's meth? I didn't I didn't quite know what that was. And then he said, speed. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. I can absolutely see that they would be doing that. And I was like, okay. So then it it created in me like this urge to get out. Um, and the reason why I had to move back home is it it was, I got in trouble and, and my stepdad said, you need to come home. And I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds like a safe place for me to go. Um, and so that year 17 was pretty intense. Uh, in, let's skip back a little bit to the childhood um, because I feel like my dad has a huge role in who I am. He is such a sweet and soft soul. His, his darkness lies in, in mourning, mainly his brother. They were both in the military and his brother was flying a helicopter and he flew it into a mountain and died. And then my dad went AWOL literally and it was wild. So he never like really processed that, which created just a really submissive, um, desensitized being of a person. He would find women who were also drug addicts, but he never really loved drugs. He liked pot and beer. And so... When I was growing up and I was always wanting him to be around, Angie made it super difficult for him to be in my life. And because of that, uh, I was told that he was a bad father. I even remember, like, I was waiting. I was, like, 12 or something. I was waiting for him at the house where I was with my stepdad and my mom. And literally, like you see in the movies, I was waiting there. Um, looking outside because he had told me he was going to come and pick me up. And he it was getting late and he wasn't showing up. And my stepdad said to me, yeah, um, he's a worthless piece of shit. And I just, it just broke my heart. And I had this horrible, like, that moment put me into the one of the most wildest experiences of of my life, which was at 12 when that happened, then he, <clears throat> my, I guess in that moment, my dad felt so guilty for not showing up whenever he said he would and not being present that he just dipped out completely. And I... I I would get, I guess I went into some form of neurological shock because at that moment I started twitching. I had this, this compulsive twitch that my whole, like my whole body would convulse a hundred percent of the time. Like I was never not twitching and it just progressively got worse to where I had to leave school um, I, I couldn't even write. I, c- I could hardly walk. <clears throat> I, um, finally, it, it was the, I think it was like the school, my teacher and the, the principal and stuff told Angie, like, there's something wrong. You know, she can't type in class. She can hardly write. Like, you need to take her to the doctor. So I went to the doctor and I stayed in the hospital for two weeks with around-the-clock care. Like, I had doctors, a dozen doctors at a time, just watching me, and I was hooked up to every machine you can think of and did every test, all of it. And um, I just remember being so, so, like distraught that my dad wasn't there and Angie loved it oh my god she was just so in love with the fact that she was getting all the attention for her daughter having some unknown problem you know and so uh, it was really pathetic and I in being in the child care I was like going into the room where there were children who were really ill and I was Coloring and like totally like a child, just doing the best I could. And Angie was coloring things. It was it was intense. I did do a pretty powerful tapping therapy about five years ago that helped me heal a lot from that. But so this this twitching, it it started there and it just stayed with me my whole life. Um, I would twitch really bad. Um, so what they told me is it was some form of Tourette's. Um, that was the only thing they could say but they were like we don't we don't know how it just started when she didn't have it when she was younger but what i know now is absolutely trauma my body responding to being mentally physically emotionally wrecked and and so this twitching i finally calmed down and got a, a little bit more under control where I could go back to school the next year. And it was rough, though, because in school I was made fun of a lot. Um, and it helped me become super strong in, in who I am from all of the, I guess you would say, bullying. And, and, and then it would <clears throat> kind of level out like whenever I was probably like 15 and I moved in with my aunt my uncle that I was telling you about earlier, it leveled out then because I had some form of like stability. I knew I was going to go home and that my guardians would be there because so many times I would be in a house without any parents who would just literally disappear for days to go and do drugs. And my sister and I had to take care of the younger sisters. And um, so at least I had this like stability. And then... Um, I started high school living there and it was, it was actually really, really nice. And I finally started like, I started working, um, whenever I was 14, <laughs> I was actually, no, was I 13 or 14? I just know it, I was, it was before I moved out on my own because Angie came home one day and she was like, I have a, um, you know, I, I, I applied for you to get a job at Sonic as a car hop. And I had to lie on the application and tell them you're 15 and and you start this weekend. And I was like, what? (laughs) And she was like, yeah. And so I started working. Um, and she was always taking my money. Like I had to give her my, my paycheck essentially until I moved out. And then when I moved out, I I worked for a little bit still, but when I lived with my aunt and uncle, it was a lot easier and they gave me money and I wasn't having to like, um, work so much so I could go to school. And, and then, um, let's see what else happened in childhood that molded me to be this person. There's, there's endless amounts of, of stories, but let's fast forward back to age 17. Whenever I, my uncle who I was really close with died uh, he transcended. And then I had a, well, I had the tumor. I found out I had a tumor in my right fibula. I did an emergency surgery for that. I had a nine-month recovery, which it was a pretty um, serious surgery because I had to, like, take off the bone and replace the bone. So I had to pretty much, you know, after nine months, of not using your leg, you lose all your muscle. So I had to relearn a lot of things and he was a big part of my healing through that. And then um, whenever I got back, it was like literally the day I got back from going out of town with my, my best friend I had at the time. I went with her family to Orlando, Florida to go to Disney World. And so we, when we got back that night, her uncle, who was 27, we were 17, invited us over to a party. And it was, uh, you know, I mean, past college age guys, they were 27. So um, I actually kind of feel like maybe he was still in college, maybe. Um, He roofied me and raped me. And I was living with my sister at this time. And so I woke up in the car, in the passenger seat of one of my girlfriends, And she was, I just remember looking over at her and she's like, it's okay, I'm taking you home. And so I woke up the next morning and I I was scheduled to go with another friend out of town because she was a singer and we were going to go to this thing where she was going to sing. And I woke up and I just like was really disoriented. And I went to the bathroom and whenever I wiped, there was like a long pube. And at that time I didn't have pubes, so I knew it wasn't mine. And as soon as I saw it, the flashback of him having sex with me hit me and I was like oh god but I just kept packing and didn't say anything and just went with it and I went out of town for like two days I was with my friends and her mom and finally I was like okay I have to tell y'all something and then we came back and I went to the emergency room and it I think it was like past time for them to do a, a rape kit, for them to find anything, and um, I went through a whole process of trying to press charges, but his family was a pretty prominent family in, in town, so all of his buddies went against me, but there were dozens of girls who heard that whenever I was speaking out against this uh, about this, they came forward to me and my sister, but refused to do anything about it because they were scared of him and his family. And so anyway, that just washed, but that put me into into a state of anxiety with panic disorders that lasted many years. I wouldn't leave my house. I was a child again. I was literally coloring and watching movies. I did not step foot out of my door at my sister's house um, for probably three or four months. And then my brother-in-law, he bought me a dog. This is gonna make me emotional. (laughs) And he said, that I needed something to live for because I'd I'd tried to commit suicide and and so I would always go to sleep with their two Rottweilers on my bed and I woke up in the morning and the dogs were off the bed and he was shutting the door and I was like asshole because I was upset that he was taking the dogs and I looked at the end of the bed and there was this beautiful puppy, and she had a blue bow around her neck, and it like changed my life. In that moment, I knew, like, I had to live for her, and so I got up and I started preparing to like exit the house and go outside, so I would take her on the front yard and. And this is, in this moment is whenever I started um, really getting into natural healing. (laughs) Instead of taking pills that I would not take, my anxiety medicine or my um, antidepressants, those are what I tried to kill myself with, but I wouldn't take them because I, 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 some part of me always knew that there was a corrupt system that was trying to ruin us. And so I just, I just didn't want to participate in it. And so I got Kava Kava, which is a root. And I had this Kava Kava drops and I just held onto the bottle like everywhere I went and I would just use these Kava Kava drops. And they helped me to get to like, be able to drive again without having a severe panic attack. I, I, I was in the emergency room, like all the time with panic attacks, thinking I was dying. Um, So I got Torch, um, my dog, that's what I named her. And then everything got better. Like, I really did heal from having her. And I was able to, um, I never was able to go back to school because my anxiety was too bad, so I just stayed homeschooled. And then... Um once I graduated high school, like 2 weeks after I graduated, my boyfriend and I hit the road with torch and we started traveling all over the country. Um we would go to jam band concerts like widespread panic, string cheese incident, fish, um the other ones which is a grateful dead band. All the jam bands. So we started touring and I was really happy cuz it was free but I was really dumb (laughs) and, and, uh, I did a, I did all the things. Um, I, I just, it, it felt so good. It was like my soul was, my soul was happy because I wasn't under any control and I was dancing every night and going, I was waking up in a new beautiful place every day. Like, um, sleeping in tents and sleeping in the car it was just really really cool but I did some dumb things that I now know that um (laughs) could have I could be in in prison for the rest of my life for if if I wasn't protected and or dead if I wasn't severely protected which means I have a big mission and purpose and That is more clear to me every day. I was in a couple of different really bad car accidents. Um, I was with people who overdosed on all sorts of drugs. I, I experienced a lot. And I was in situations where I was essentially busted by the cops for and had like all the drugs that you can think of in the car I was in, but miraculously the drug dog didn't smell or find any of it. And it was because Torch was in the car and she was in heat. So it was like wild, wild things happened. And I just, I see now why, because I have a big purpose. But, and then after, um, after my, journey with traveling and, and seeing music and experiencing that, I decided to settle down. I was like 21 and I moved to Maine. I thought, well, that's the furthest place from Texas that I can get, but still in the U S let's do it. And when I got there, I started acting and modeling, which, um, I had acted most of my childhood. I was always a character and then I, I loved theater, and so I started doing theater acting, and I did a, a full-length film, and I did off-Broadway productions, I, all sorts of stuff. And then I started modeling and then um, moved, at, moved away from Maine and went back to Texas for a while. I got married a couple times. I started a business, um, my salon, which was... Um, Oh, well, let's talk about before I, this is actually very important. (laughs) Um, Whenever I was 27, I was engaged and the guy I was engaged to was like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, what did you say to me? And he said, well, I think, you know, you should go to cosmetology school because you should get paid for how you're doing everyone's hair and makeup all the time. And I was really good at makeup. I'd been doing makeup for a long time because I was modeling and I would get my makeup done by people and be like, what the hell is this? I look like a clown. So he said, if you do it, I'll pay for it. And I was like, sold. And um, I ended up paying for that, by the way. But anyway... I went to cosmetology school, and I was really good at it. <laughs> it was wild. I was like, well, I'm doing this. And so I worked in a, in a hair salon, not not for very long, before I opened my own salon. And it expanded rather quickly and pretty big to, I started, it was just me. And then whenever I finally sold my salon, like I feel like it was maybe eight years after I started. Um, there were 16... 16 chairs in my salon, one to the 16 in the matter of like, yeah, I guess eight years. I really don't know time anymore, but it sounds about right. And then I sold my salon and it was really easy. It was like one of the easiest things I've ever done. I just asked one of my uh, hairstylists if she wanted to buy it. And she was like, I do. And I sold it. And then I bought an Airstream and I, I spent a few months, maybe... Who cares about time? I spent some time remodeling the Airstream. It was 1969, 31-foot Airstream. And I remodeled it until it got good enough for me to live in and then start traveling in. So I would travel all around the country for a couple of weeks, and then I'd go back to Texas and do hair for like a week to make money, and then I'd just keep doing that. And um, on one of my journeys back to back to my hometown, I was on a two-lane road, two-lane highway, and <clears throat> I'd always listened to Gaia videos mainly whenever I was driving. And like Spirit told me to turn off my my video and I was in silence and I look up and I see this tiny little green thing and I'm like Is this coming at me? This is coming at me, and then I I look into the lane. You know, it's just two lane highway, and I see. I realize that this little bitty, tiniest green, green tiniest green car you've ever seen, the green tiniest car you've ever seen. um, It looks like they're trying to pass a semi, but in front of the semi is like dozens of vehicles, so there's nowhere for them to go. Behind them, the place where they just came out of, I'm like observing all of this in what seems like forever, but also like one second. And I see that this person has nowhere to go but at me. And so I was probably going 65 because I'm in a, like a huge <clears throat> F250 diesel truck pulling a 31 foot trailer. I'm essentially a semi and I thought this thing like I would just roll right over it was so small the car was so small and so I slowed down I probably was able to slow down to about 45 well this very inexperienced driver sped up was probably going like 85 because they were thinking they could pass the person and then we both went to the same direction I went right they went left so we collided while I was going, and we were both going into the same um, uh, shoulder of the road. And I came to, well, when we hit, he hit my right side and, and their passenger side. And um, when I came to a complete stop, I realized I was like, it was about two inches from a guardrail, like a cattle guardrail. And um, I was right side up. And I looked at my dogs, and they were fine. And I was like, what just happened to me? How is this possible? Like, how is it possible that I'm just like this? Like, everything's fine. And I look in my rearview mirror, and my trailer isn't even all the way um, jackknifed. I was shook. Like, how is it possible? And then um, someone was at my window really quickly asking if I was okay, and I was like, yes, but Please go. And I was, like, screaming, like, go and check on these people. They're dead. They're dead. I know they're dead. And and he's, like, okay, you know, if you're fine. And so I got it together and called 911. I was on the phone with her. <clears throat> and the guy comes back, like, quickly. And he's at my window. And I was, like, what are you doing? Are they alive? And he was, like, it's okay. And, I, and he, like, points behind him. And, I, and I, I tried to get out of the truck, but my back was, like, really, really um, hurting. So it took me a minute. I got out and I see this young man and the guy points at him and he was like, yeah, he's fine. And I was like, you're the driver? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? You could have killed yourself. I mean, I just lost it. I was like, my dogs are in the car. I mean, I was freaking out because I was like, how is this kid standing here? And I was like, is everybody else okay? And he was like, yeah. He looked at me and he said, lady, chill. It happened. There's nothing we can do about it. And I was like, <laughs> talking to the lady on number one, I was like, "You, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. She was like, ma'am, you need to calm down. Go sit back down. And I was just like, I just couldn't believe it. So I sat back down in my truck and I look out my driver's or my passenger window and I see the other person who was in the car, and he's literally kicking around the um, the front of the the fender of the front of the car, like kicking it around. And the car is like a hundred yards away. Like my truck hit it, and it spun so far out and was destroyed; it was demolished. But I was hurt worse than they were, and so um, they the record everything comes, and I decide I want to, like, get my truck towed. I don't want to go to the hospital where they want to take me, which was, like, two hours back the other way, so I would have been, like, four and a half hours from home. So I just had the trucker take me and my dogs to where they were towing my truck, which just happened to be literally, like, ten houses from my sister where I would keep my Airstream. And so, um, it was so crazy. I, I I was just... Incomplete shock from it for, for days, probably. And and so after that happened, I had five like, bulging discs in my back, and I did um, non-surgical... Um, some Something I, I did on a bed. I can't remember what it's called. But anyways, I obviously was not going to do surgery. So I did this other thing. And then while I was... So I, I, my home was destroyed because I lived in my uh, travel trailer, my Airstream. My truck was inoperable because it had some major damage to it. Um, And then my back, my body was out of commission. So I didn't have a home. I didn't have a vehicle, and I wasn't able to work. I lost uh, about 70% of my clients because I couldn't do their hair because people are crazy, crazy, crazy about their hair. And that was fine because I was like, you know, go ahead, Hi, one of my favorite humans in the world. I love her and her mother. Uh, Her mother had a house in in my hometown that she never stayed in. And she was only there like maybe two days out of the month and said I could live there until I figured out what I was doing with my life. And while I'm there, waking up every morning in my best friend's bedroom from high school, with her cheerleading pictures all over the walls. It was just like every morning reminder of like, your life sucks. Look at you. You have nothing. And it, I, it was bad. Um, and so that whole experience put me into my darkest, 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 most glorious dark night of the soul. I thought about suicide again. I really, I really thought about What it was like, the whole I I processed the whole thought of why suicide. Not, not I want to kill myself because I don't want to be here. But why do I want to kill myself? Why? Because I knew I wasn't gonna do it because I had already tried that once and I regretted it. And then also I didn't want to die, but I wanted. I wanted parts of me that didn't serve me anymore. I wanted them to die. I wanted them to die so badly that I couldn't think of anything else to do but kill myself. And it got so overwhelming, and I had a good friend that I was able to express this to because he and I, um, we had talked a lot about our suicide, and anyway, I knew I could talk to him, thankfully. So I had someone to talk to, but... Mostly it was just me and myself, and that's never a really great place to be because when your self isn't connected to your higher self or your soul, then you're just bouncing a bunch of really toxic information back and forth. And so I got it together. I actually invested, or I transmuted that energy by creating awareness around suicide. Um, and I did it in a really interesting way that I didn't really talk much to anyone about. But I I started making these. I got these styrofoam skulls. Well, I got a real like um, it was a skull from like a Halloween skull, <clears throat> and then I started getting milk cartons and <laughs> and heating the milk carton around the skull to create more skulls, and then I would fill them with a expanding foam and then from that i would decorate them and so i started decorating these skulls and they represented death but i made them really fun and designed them i put crystals on them and glitter and i did all this stuff that like so i started decorating these skulls and i was like i was like i know what i know what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm going to create awareness around suicide because it's the truth is we don't really want to kill ourselves what we want are the aspects of ourself that no longer serve us. We want those to die. And I knew whenever this information came to me, whenever it really clicked, I was like, I'm the only one responsible for putting those that old identity to rest. So it gave me a lot of hope. And then I was presented with the option, in, all in this same moment, presented with the option of Costa Rica. And I said, I'm going. And in that moment, it gave me something bigger to live for. And so I started like selling a bunch of vintage clothes to make more money because I wasn't able to work full time. Um, it just hurt too bad for me to stand up for all hours of the day. So I started like, I did like a Poshmark and I, I, I did all sorts of things to sell a crap ton of really amazing vintage clothes that I had, um, found. And so I did what I had to do. I sold all my stuff, even though what happened in the you know years leading up to me moving to Costa Rica was I went from a 25 square, 2500 square foot home that I lived in by myself, three bedrooms, basement, all this, and they were completely full of furniture. And I had all the jewelry and shoes and the clothes you could think about that you could ever want. And then I went from that to an apartment, or no, to a shared house. So I had to downsize from one to the shared house. And then from the shared house, I went to an apartment. So I just progressively started downsizing my life. And then from the apartment, I went into my airstream, which was 150 square feet. 150 square feet, people, and it, it was really impressive how I was, uh, how I was able to design this airstream to fit my needs. It was really awesome, actually. Um, <clears throat> so I I had already been downsizing so much, so I didn't have a ton of stuff to sell before I moved to Costa Rica. Um, and let me just add that. <laughs> is, my whole life I had had so many projects and so many things that I would attach to and be super proud of that were my identity. And the Airstream was a big part of that. I thought I'm going to be Instagram famous because I have an Airstream. Well, I wasn't. And then whenever that I worked, I I went through so many phases during the the time I was working on my Airstream because I was doing it alone. I was like, I'm all alone in this. Nobody will help me. Actually, my dad and I kind of reunited and he was like I'll help you with it because my grandma had died and I I was it was a really powerful moment where he felt like we wanted to reunite so I was stoked about that but then it fizzled away and his body is full of of locked energy that he doesn't move so he's in a lot of pain anyway what the message for that is we create so many obstacles in our life based on the things that we attach ourselves to that are, are are our identity. For a long time, the salon was my identity. Being a really really hardworking entrepreneur was my identity to the to a fault, where I was like, you know, unable to have any healthy relationship in my life because I was consumed by being a, a hustler. <clears throat> and then the airstream came. Then I was consumed by being a uh, a nomad and look at me, I did all this myself. And it was like, well, you know, (laughs) Airstream's kind of falling apart. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I did this myself. So um, anyway, so fast forward to Costa Rica. So I chose this, I chose this, and I knew. I, I look back now, and I know that the day I said to this person, I'm moving to Costa Rica was the day I signed my contract. That was going to, it was going to get me here. It was going to take me to a level that I always knew I was capable of, but I was never going to um, be able to attain if I stayed where I was, if I stayed in the matrix, because... I was really successful at everything I did in the matrix. I needed to, I needed to reset completely and be, um, I needed to be in the situation that I'm going to tell you about. So <clears throat> I move here. Um, and I, I move here under the promise that I am going to be in a 50-50 Partnership with the person who owns the property that person was going to um, Bring in the people to stay at the Airbnb that I managed so that the role was this person Brings in all the clientele because they have a really large following and that's where we're gonna get business My role was to do what I do best which is make everything more beautiful. I was to um redesign the Airbnb and then I was gonna manage that and host the people because I'm really good at that too. And um, and I was gonna manage that and then after I got the Airbnb looking super fly, I was going. I started working on um, redesigning the main house and then I was in charge of redesigning like the lawn and managing all of the workers. That was my role for the year and a half that I, I lived in this place. So while I was in this partnership though, I was I was living essentially in the basement of this house. And during this time, the person I was in partnership with would project a lot of things onto me. And I have never in my life been triggered so intensely like I was in this situation. I we would have moments of arguments that we we would go weeks without speaking to each other. Sometimes, a couple times we went months without speaking to each other. But because I was being told, because I was being, I was being told and promised, and um, that I was going to have this. I was. What I was being told was we were going to be 50-50 partners and we are going to be very successful and that we were going to help people and they were going to come to the Airbnb and we were going to offer them all of this healing and I was. that's all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was be of service for people and empower them to become their best version of themselves because I was becoming mine and I knew I was going through so much healing on my own. I was literally just whenever I'd get into these triggers, <clears throat> I would just go into my space and I would, be, I would process it. I would dissect it down to the, the smallest little detail until I found the root of why is what is happening triggering me? What is this trigger about? Because it's not about them. It's about me because triggers are our messengers. So I would dissect it and dissect it. And whenever I came from a lifetime of being known as the girl you don't mess with because she'll kick your ass. I was super aggressive. I was, I was known to fight my whole life and I I did it a lot and I did it really well. So I would go back to my old pattern of like, I'm just going to beat the shit out of her. And then I'd have to process that and be like, but that's not what we do anymore. Why can't, where's the compassion where's the love and where's the grace and so i would i would dissect these triggers until i got to that place of forgiveness for myself for con- my contribution to the situation and then forgiveness for them because i have to forgive people i have to view them as children who are unhealed you know like that's who we all are until we choose to heal and so i just kept i would come out of my processing and I'd put myself right back into the situ- another situation to be triggered again. And I just did this over and over and over again. And it was really, now I see it, it's like, it's so incredible how I chose this perfect situation to get me to who I am today. I mean, literally, all day, every day, I was having to process my strengths and my weaknesses and learn how to balance learn how to balance out my energy because I was being told by this person without my without my personal business we will not have clientele you will not be successful without me i was also told this is our partnership and if you leave then you're you know you're running away like your old pattern is because they knew me really well because we have karmic history And so I would stay, and I kept staying, and I kept thinking, well, obviously I need them um, to be able to live in Costa Rica. I can't move back home, so I'd have to process that too. Why am I feeling like I'm not good enough? Why am I feeling like I'm not enough? And then it got to be so intense that every time I would hear something like, um, there are a couple things that stick out. One of them being, um, you're not good with words, so you should just stop trying. And this was geared towards um, some Instagram posts, and I heard that, and I was like, okay, let me show you. And so I, that's whenever I like really jumped into using my my truth and making really good. Instagram captions because when I was younger I had like published poetry all of this like I was I, I knew that what I was capable of but they that person didn't and so I started making some really good content and then, you know, I was told other things like, you're not going to have nice things pretty much like you're going to be living in my basement forever and you're just going to have to deal with it. And so from that, I started taking my own clients and I stopped working with that person. I was like, I'm just going to take my own clients. Um, I'll still manage the the people that come to the Airbnb because I enjoy it and I really want to work with them. <clears throat> and then um, it got to where I couldn't even do that. So I just started taking my own clients and Woke up to the realization that I'm going to host personal retreats, and I knew that, so I knew I had to find, I had to find a property that allowed me to live out this mission. And so I began searching all over the Caribbean, all over it, and I kept coming back to the same area. I would come back to Punta Uva on my bicycle, and then I was able to afford to get a, <clears throat> able to afford to get a um a scooter. And so, I I started bringing my scooter to this area, and I would go to my friend's um, restaurant down the road. And I told him, uh, "Do you know any?" I would always ask him, "Do you know any places for rent? Do you know any places for sale?" Like I'm I'm gonna live here. And he's like, "Well, this is a super difficult place to live." And I was like, "Yeah, but it's this is where I'm supposed to be." And then, amazingly, a beautiful messenger shows up um, and says, "I have a friend who." Um, has property and they're they're wanting to rent or sell it and so I made the appointment and I came here and as soon as I walked on property I was like well hello everything I've been creating in my um, envision work I would envision this exact place I would see the the circular cabinas I would see the the, um, the pathway that led to these cabine- cabinas and they they were um, paved or whatever with, um, flagstone. I mean the whole thing, the whole, I saw it all. I saw the, the central area and it was round and it's just, everything was exactly what I had been doing my envision work around and I created it. And so I just stayed, I stayed completely up this person's butt for every day, like, Hey, so when can I move in? Da, 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 da. And I didn't know how I was going to make it happen. I just knew that if this place was for me, then I'm going to be in here. And so I started taking a lot of clients, and I was doing what I could to make money. And uh, and then one day, uh, you know, he's like, "Okay, we're, we're making our decision because there were other people who were interested as well." And he and he calls me and he says, "We've chosen you." And I was like, "I know, <laughs> I knew it. This is mine." And so, um, I and by the by the way, I had already had my apartment packed for months. I knew I was leaving. I just wanted to be completely prepared. So um, it was $9,000 for the the deposit. <clears throat> it was a $9,000 deposit. And I was being told, like, I, we, we had gotten to a cordial place, me and this other person that I was in partnership with. Let me tell you also that I invested a year and a half of my life working all day, every day for this business. And also I invested about $25,000 of my own money from savings. And then when I sold my Airstream, I put it back into the property. And so I had invested a lot of time and all my money. And so she said, um, I think it's great. You need to go, you know, find your own place. I'm going to, um, I'm going to give you, it was, it was, I'm going to give you $5,000 and, um, I feel like, I feel like that's fair. And of course I was like, I'm just going to accept this and say, thank you for your generosity because every little bit helps and I'm not going to be greedy and I'm not, I'm just not going to go there. Right. We are not doing that anymore. And so I was like, okay, thank you for your generosity. And so I knew that I had $5,000 um, and that I had my deposit. And I knew with $5,000, I was just gonna do what I had to do to put some new paint on the place. And hopefully, as soon as I got here, I'd be able to start renting out. Um, I knew what I was gonna do with the retreats. So I was gonna be able to start doing the retreats and make some money that way as soon as I got here. Well, when it got down to like the day that I was going to give my deposit and go and sign papers at the attorney's office. I told her, um, I need that money and she says, um, I've decided I'll let you borrow $3,000 and I was like, okay, I'm going to be fine and it just, it triggered me so bad and I wanted to flip out, but I was like, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to take a bike ride. Um, And I rode my bike into town. And the whole time I just, I processed it. And I was like, I just kept telling myself I have everything I need. I am enough. I I don't need, I don't need this. I don't need this. And I know if I take this, she's going to hold this over my head like she has everything else. So... I had an appointment with one of my, with one of my clients and I was not okay. So I I, I messaged him and I I actually called and I was like, listen, I'm, I'm actually not okay. And he was like, well, what's going on? And I said, um, and, and I, I started telling him and I was like, and I, this is my dream. Like I have to have this place. I cannot not have this place. It's everything. And I was just like, I should not be telling you this stuff. Like you're my client. I definitely don't need to be venting to you. And he said, no, you should be telling me this. I'm literally sitting in front of um, my investments deciding where I'm going to invest money and I have money, I'll invest in this. And I was like, say what? And I just like, I just like, I just knew. I just knew. Amazing. I just knew that this was how it was supposed to be. And, um, and what was really cool, whenever I first started emailing with this person, whenever he started emailing me about appointments, really, truly, I heard he's going to help you with Costa de Seva. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, maybe he, who knows what. And then whenever that happened, I was like, I told him, I said, I knew this already. I just didn't know that this would be the way. So he, um, by the next day had put, $11,111.11 in my account in my PayPal account to help me get everything I need and then I spent all of July upgrading the place and what the coolest thing is is that whole time I was spending money my account never dropped down I always had like $10,000 in my account The only way I can explain that is because magic. It was so amazing. I just, I kept spending money buying things for the place and I'd go to my account and it hadn't dropped down. I was like, this is wild. And then as soon as I surrendered and I accepted, like, this is mine. All of this is happening for me. I started getting bookings and and then I was like, this is this is real. Like this is mine. This is how it's supposed to be. And moving in here and waking up and looking at what is mine. I for the first like 5 days I just cried all day every day. I just couldn't believe it. I was so amazed and I was so proud of myself. I was so proud that I created this that i chose myself and that i did the work because i feel strongly that you know our our outside matches our inside and i had done so much work to heal myself that i was being rewarded with this and i knew that that, that this gift came with a huge massive responsibility to be of service to others and there's nothing I wanted more in my life than to <clears throat> be of service, and once I, I truly grasped that this is what I've been. This is what my whole life has been about. That I, all every single experience I've had, has led me here. So that anyone who comes here, I most pretty much have, ha, have a relatable experience, and for that. I can I can offer more people a, a higher frequency perspective because I've lived it, and <laughs> and every day <clears throat> that I'm here, more and more magic occurs, and more healing occurs, and now with the mentees, the mentor program, <laughs> I I'm stepping even more into my power and being so rewarded watching the growth of of these beautiful humans who have trusted me with their literally their life and who trust that I am enough so of course I trust I am enough and no matter how challenging our experiences are we can always, always find, find healing. And it's just, it's our responsibility. And I can speak so clearly about all of those things I just shared with you, except for the torch thing, I always get emotional because she literally saved my life and Um, whenever I got Zuna, Zuna, my dog now, she, she came to me right before moving to Costa Rica. And so I brought her and she is a hundred percent the reincarnation of Torch. I mean, they are so identical the way they are of service, the way they like to, um, eat all the things on the jungle floor, um, All of it. She's a beautiful, loving soul. And so I have peace knowing that um, our dogs always come back into our human experience when we need them most. And definitely Torch came when I needed her most at the beginning. And then she came back again when I needed her before coming here. Because in those days that I was being processing all of the experiences I was going through at my old location, I would go to the beach. And I don't think I would have been so excited to to be at the beach alone if I didn't have her. And she makes me so happy to get to play with her and see her happy. It's just incredible. Animals are amazing. So this is my story. This is my story of me being the phoenix, rising from the ashes, but not identifying with that at all because... It's supposed to be this way. It's all supposed to be exactly this way and I wouldn't change a single thing that I've experienced. And there could be 10 more of these podcasts to share more (laughs) stories. But I think this is um, a a good part of it that allows me to share vulnerably with you who I am and why i'm here and what my mission is and how i live in my purpose and how those two are continuously evolving based on how much commitment i have to myself and to my and to my journey and to my my mission <clears throat> i'm always evolving and thank you for listening and i love you guys and please do follow me on instagram mama.eshell. And on TikTok, Mama underscore ishell. Subscribe to my YouTube, Mama Eshell. And please join me on November 20th. I'm going to be doing a Karma Masterclass. You can go to my link tree to buy tickets to that. Love you guys.